Hello again, everyone, and welcome to the best of Let's Go with Tom Brady, Larry Fitzgerald, and me, Jim Gray. You know, it's easy to get excited about going to a game. You love hearing the sound of the whistle, smelling the game day concessions all the way from your seat. That's the stuff that reminds you of the thrill of being there at the game. And you know that Amex is going to be with you there every step of the way, because when you're with Amex, it's not if it's going to happen, but when. American Express. Don't live life without it. The old saying goes, never meet your heroes. Well, that's a lie. All it means is that you pick the wrong heroes, pick the right ones, and a simple conversation can change your life for the better. Tom grew up in the Bay Area, watching and emulating the great Steve Young of the 49ers, now a Hall of Famer. And Steve? He grew up idolizing the legendary Heisman Trophy and Super Bowl winner, Roger Stahlbeck, also immortalized in Canton, Ohio. I had the privilege of sitting down with these three men, Tom Brady and his hero, Steve Young, and his hero, Roger Stahlbeck, for an incredible conversation last season on Let's Go. What's really cool about this is is we have three generations here, and Tom's idol growing up was Steve Young. And Steve Young's idol growing up was Roger Stahlbeck. So let, let's start with you, Steve. What was it that you saw in Roger that, made you want to be successful and, and, and follow in those footsteps? I, I Look, I don't want to be corny, but uh, heroes matter. Whether, you know, it's my dad or someone, my coach or something, I mean, heroes matter. And Roger was playing for the Cowboys and they were on every uh, every week. And that's, and I, I watched Roger play and I, as a kid, I didn't, I never knew I was going to play pro ball, never even thought about it. But I loved what, how he did, and then I had Roger up on my wall, a poster, and it was one of these action shots where it showed his, well, his right hand, and it, and you could see his hand right on the ball, and I remember in my room taking the football and kind of putting my hand, just like like how does he hold that ball? Just like, puts his fingers just right there, and that's how I learned to hold the ball. Wow! And then when I'd see him interviewed, I'd want to talk like Roger, right? I when I when he run, I like to run like Roger. I wanted to. And so in that way, people are always like, well, what's the big deal about, uh, you know, uh, heroes? And I'm like, because heroes model the very things that you want to do. I, look, I, I wore a big, long face mask because Jim McMahon, my hero in college, was wore one. And I, I couldn't turn right. I finally realized it was the stupidest <laughs> idea ever. So like, you got to have good models all the time. So Roger, for me, um, uh, was showed me how to play, how to talk, how to handle wins and losses how to throw and you know just the style and everything i i and what's funny just to close the story i'd never met him the impact on my life was tr- profound throughout my life and then the first time i met him was as he walked out the 19 1992 championship game against the cowboys mm-hmm. and here comes my hero that i like i almost started to weep like i started like oh there's roger Stavett. Yeah. And like, think about what I felt at that moment, all those years of me knowing him, he doesn't know me. And like, there he is. And I remember we were, we we're on each side, right. And the referees talking about something about the coin flip. And I'm like, uh, uh, Roger, I'm your hero. You're the, uh, I had your poster up, you know, and Roger was trying to, <laughs> tell and he finally said, relax, you know, we'll, we'll talk later. Like, you know, just going down. I thought yeah. it was a great ploy by Jimmy Johnson to throw me for a loop. <laughs> so, hey, Steve, where do I send the check? Yeah, 
<laughs> Roger, do you realize do you realize the impact that you had, or did you know it while you were while you were going through it? Because everybody had followed your career, winning that Heisman, of course, the Naval Academy. People had tremendous respect and admiration for the plight that you took, having to sit out so many of your professional years, uh, waiting for your career, uh, and then to hear things like uh, what Steve just said. While you're going through it, do you realize you're having that impact? Uh, well, you know, I mean, Steve uh, and, and Tom, I guess we we all have, um, as, as far as quarterbacks and people, I mean, I, I grew up with like Otto Graham and, you know, uh, you know, looking up to the quarterback. So I was, uh, it was, it was a thrill to me, I, but, you know, to have another quarterback uh, like Steve uh, is, is really uh, makes me, <laughs> it humbles me for sure. But it, it, it um, you know, I had uh, four years in the service. So I was 27, and I it was a thrill of my life to get on the uh, in the in, in the professional football. And it was my third year where I had a had a really had a chance, and people started <laughs> to, to like me. We had a really great year. We won the Super Bowl, and uh, and uh, we we had a so so that was really the beginning of uh, my professional life was. Uh, Having that, having that Super Bowl that early in my uh, my career with the Dallas Cowboys uh, was a big, big, big time thrill, and I could see, you know, people appreciated it, and and hopefully, you know, I know there's a humble humbleness about these these two guys uh, here, Tom and Steve, both. Uh, they're they're just not only fantastic uh, football players, they're uh, they're great people too. And then after Roger the Dodger comes Steve Young and. He's running all over the place. He's winning uh, a Super Bowl. He's an MVP a couple of times. Um, and uh, and you're watching him uh, from the stands and, and growing up in Northern California. And you come out there and you break all these records, but uh, you don't use your feet much other than to plant your, uh, plant your, <laughs> plant your foot to throw. <laughs> How could these guys be your idols, uh, particularly Steve, and, 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 and have that occur? I know. I, I said earlier, and I've told Steve this, I – Obviously, have the exact opposite play style, but I, you know, I think Steve was so electric as a player, and you know, I was growing up in the Bay Area, and it was a magical time, and our whole existence was built on you know, Forty Nine er football, and I just loved every minute of it, and I think all the kids around did, all the kids in the Bay Area did, and it was the best era for Forty Nine er football ever, and I got to watch the 80s and the 90s and here came Steve and that was right kind of my when I began to really fall in love with the sport you know I didn't start playing until I was a freshman in high school and I didn't even know how to put the pads on my pants and then that's when the Niners were winning the Super Bowls and you know I was out there banging the pots and pans and I was at the victory parades and it was just I don't know what it would have become had I not had that experience in the Bay Area loving football you know because it's a hypothetical but it's hard to imagine that I would have the same love for it had I not experienced that era of 49 football and who was leading the charge? Steve was. And I, it's funny, Steve, when you wore your sleeves, like you're talking about how kind of Roger and you know, you used to wear your sleeves at the end of your career. You had that tight shirt underneath. Yep. Look at everything I've worn for the last 15, 18 years, you know, is exactly the way that Steve wore it. And I still do it today. Um, so it's just a lot of those things really are, they do mean a lot. And, and Steve said it better than I could. And just, uh, thank you, Steve, for who you are and 
all the Niners and Jerry when I see him and Ronnie Lott and a lot of these guys I've gotten to know over the years, Harris Barton, who I love, um, any of those guys, they had such a big impact on my life. And uh, I'm just very grateful and they don't even know it. So uh, that's the best part about the NFL brotherhood and, you know, being part of this amazing game and this amazing sport in this great country of ours. Uh, we're in it together. And, and uh, you know, as we raise kids, Rogers on this, you know, grandfathers and I'm raising teenagers and college kids, but it, it's like you, you need help. Like how, I, they won't listen to me anymore. I need help. And, uh, and to have people that speak. And so that's why it's in many ways, Tom, you pay it forward, right? Because now they get to see you, how you handle pressure and how you handle losses and how you speak about other people. And it's like, all we can beg for each other is that we model for the future generations what we kind of saw, what we grew from before. And so we just build, build each other. So in many ways, three generations of, of paying it forward. And I can tell you that I tell my kids about Roger and then I can show them what you're doing. And then I can hopefully they can see, oh, well, I see how dad's modeling it. And, oh, OK, that's how you that's how you handle defeat. That's how you handle when you win. That's how you, that's how you speak about others. So anyway. Not that we want to make it a yuck fest here, but it really does matter. Like it matters in my, if it matters at home, it matters and it matters in my home. And so thanks to both of you. What Tom did that makes me really super pissed, to be honest with you, <laughs> is that he showed, because Roger and I, and I, I felt this way for five or six, seven years after. I was like, I should, I could still do it. Like, why did I, why did I quit? And then Tom did it. And I was like, man. You know, I knew I should have, like, and I know, Roger, that was in your head for a long time, because I'd run into you when you were 55, and you're like, I could still do it. <laughs> so, Tom, yeah. way to go, bro. I mean, you know, way to, uh, for all of us, because we all thought we could, and then you just went and proved it. That was amazing. I really believe I can outthrow uh, most 80-year-old people. <laughs> and I know I can outthrow most 45-year-olds. I'm certain of that. The 25-year-olds, not so much. <laughs> Tom may test it. Tom may may still be playing until he's eighty. Well, uh, I, I, I look. I was in Tampa three or four weeks ago, Tom, for the Monday night game, and stood right behind him. And I wanted to just, just for myself. I just like let's just see him throw it. You know, I mean, I'm, I was looking for something to tell me that uh, it's there's some age, and he's ripping those comebacks. I'm like, dude's just ripping it still. So until you, and then the game today, as Tom and I talked about it briefly on the field, in the game today it really does come down to your arms because you don't have to, you know, you're, you're in a position where you're already kind of dropped at five or six yards and you just have to be able to rip it. And so now Tom's got a tough decision. He's like, when does it end? Cause my arm is still sweet. <laughs> <laughs> Throwing's not been the problem, but it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, we spoke on the field about so many of the different changes to the game of the last bunch of years, really last, I think 10, 12 years. But, um, yeah, I mean, you guys, Steve could throw it as well as anyone, and Roger played the position as well as anyone. So, man, the fact that I'm, you know, mentioned with these guys is a dream come true. I never, my wildest dreams. Steve said he didn't think he'd ever be a pro quarterback. I didn't think I'd ever be a pro quarterback. You know, I, if, if you know, I didn't like anything other than sports, but, you know, had I not made it in sports, I don't know what the hell I'd have been doing. I'd, it doesn't really matter at this point. But, Tom, I think one of the things that I really admire about how long you played is the emotional commitment it takes. I remember when I was 38 or 39, I was like, dang, the game is – it's the emotional commitment. And that's yeah. what I, I've always said the last five, six years to myself, like, man, how yeah. does he get the emotional commitment to go back every year? That 
because Roger's the one who told me when I was getting older, I go, Roger, what's the secret? He goes, Re- redouble your efforts every year. Try yeah. to stay up. And I just emotionally, that was the hard part. No, I think that's a big part of it too. And I think every athlete, you know, some people, and it's interesting, you know, I talk to a lot of young players too, you know, some guys, it's just really what your desire comes down to. It's uh, some guys don't want a 20 year career. Some guys want a five year career. Some guys are right. totally content being on the practice squad, just happy as could be. Some guys just want to make it three or four years. You know, some guys favorite sport wasn't even football, but they happen to be football players. You know, how lucky was I that I actually loved the job that I found as in my career in my life. That's the blessing is, I mean, I didn't love basketball. I didn't love, ba- I love football. And it turns out I, I ended up being pretty, you know, halfway decent at it. And for, for a lot of people that came into my life, you know, it provided the most amazing memories, relationships and winning games is great. But as you guys know, how much do you think about winning and losing at this point in your life? Probably not that much. You know, it's probably all your friendships of all your buddies that you played with, you know, and that's the best part for my mind it still is you know and that's the you know the emotional part is hard because i think the hardest thing for me is the frustration level of you know i just i want it so right and when it doesn't i get so frustrated and that's probably the hardest battle to fight on a daily basis you know because you're with a 24 year old and he you know he's 24 when i was 24 i didn't know shit either you know, and you know, you're trying to go pay attention. You don't know how many chances you're going to get at this. And they're like, what are you talking about? I'm going to have, I'm, I'm good. I'm, I'm good. rolling. I'm- exactly. <laughs> you know? So I think that's probably the biggest challenge for me is, uh, you know, and, and it's, it's, but that's good to learn. You know, I'm still learning a lot too. Every year's this year's certainly been a learning experience. A special thanks to Steve Young and Roger Stahlbeck for joining us here on let's go. Let's Go is brought to you by Kay Jewelers. For over 100 years, Kay has helped millions of couples find their dream engagement ring. Visit your local Kay store or go to Kay.com to find yours and celebrate every kiss with Kay. We had some amazing conversations with incredible people on Let's Go, and we've learned over the years that not all interviews fit the same mold. Case in point, three legends, not of football, but of comedy. And they sat down with Tom and me this year for another unforgettable session. Adam Sandler, Bill Burr, and Tracy Morgan. Sandman, let me ask you a question here, Sandman. Yes. <laughs> you know, you you are a movie star, so you do these oh, movies, yeah. and now you go out like you did this weekend, and you're doing a live show. Yeah. Uh, Tom's out there every week, and he always talks about on this program – there are no do-overs. This is live. Yeah. We don't get a tape. True. We go and look at tape to try and be better next week. Yeah. Can you explain the pressure of what it's like for you to be live as opposed to knowing that you can do it over and over and over again? Well, sure, sure, sure. It's funny. I was thinking of you, Tom, yesterday because you were in your hometown with a lot of – when that's going through your head. I played – I grew up in Manchester, New Hampshire. Yeah, and uh, and uh, I played Manchester like a month ago. And when you're in your hometown, everybody isn't it like a whole other feeling when yeah. you go on? Uh, it, oh, it's man. a different different vibe. You're ter- I was more terrified going up in my hometown than I was the entire uh, tour I've been on. It's just you don't want to let them down. There's something something that you're just thinking of expectations. Concentrate, right? Expectations yeah. are higher too. Oh, yeah, yeah. And you're thinking of uh, just relatives that are there, and you're thinking of friends you grew up with. And then you, got, you don't want to let them down. Nope. That's the biggest pain in the ass of it all. 
You know, yeah. it's you know like the worst is when you have like friends come out to your show and you have like a bad show and then they're going to meet yeah. you afterwards. I actually feel worse for them because they're sitting there going, like, oh God, what do I say? And they don't want to look at you and stuff. And you're just like, dude, this happens all the time. I bomb a lot. It doesn't hurt anymore. I'll just move on to the next one. That's and Bill, did I, you Bill, did you have that feeling when you played Fenway Park, the first comedian to do it? Oh, no, thank God. But I, I will tell you, I had, uh, you know, the anxiety like leading up to that. The best thing that I did to prepare for that show is I went to Boston, took a little vacation with my family beforehand. And I, I love walking around that city because uh, I got all these great memories and stuff. And I would walk by people and they'd be like, hey, Bill, yeah, what's going on? They'd be like, you know, good luck at Fenway. So it kind of felt like people were rooting for me. But it was right. definitely, you know, it took eh, about 10 minutes, 15 minutes to kind of just realize like, oh, wow, these people just came out here for a show. It was unbelievable. They were just listening. You could take them on the ride. You could bring them down. It was, um, yeah, it was... Uh, I don't know how to describe that experience. It was it was unbelievable, but I was definitely when, when you get when you get your like when you I, I get open when I get like my first two three laughs. That's when I know I got them. Right. As far as like when friends and family come for me, what I've adopted was I'm not doing this for y'all. It's a business, and I have to do my thing. Yeah. I can't do it for y'all because I'm not good with trying to make an impression. I'm not good at that. <laughs> I stuck with that. I'm not good at trying to. I'm not trying to impress you. Yeah, I gotta got do you. my thing. So I just tell my people, my assistant, whoever I know, sit them in the back or in the middle, because I don't want to say something and you make a face because I'm gonna flip on you. <laughs> One of my favorite weekends I ever did face. was opening for Tracy at Caroline's. He did four completely different shows. Every one of them was brilliant in like a different way. And like, oh, yeah. you know, I was pretty jaded by the time I opened for him. And I stood on the back wall the whole time just going, how did he just do that in that work? Yeah, absolutely. I saw you. Yeah. Yo, listen, you Bill. Went, you went double I'm negative. Getting girls pregnant, man. Dude, you went double negative and turned it into a positive. You taught me that. He said something like that grossed the crowd out. And then he doubled down on it. And then they go, all right, I guess he's. I don't know if I can say what he said on the show here. <laughs> he goes, I'm old. I eat, I eat, what is it? I eat toes and booty holes. That's what I'm true. He go, he, they all pull back, and then he looks at the crowd. He goes, you eat the motherfucker. And then they're just like, all right. <laughs> I got a question for you guys. Okay, so you know how sometimes you go on stage? This this will relate to Tommy out there. You Sometimes you go on stage. You're in a bit of a fog. Uh, you're not locked in. It's like 10 minutes into your show and you go, oh, my God, I'm not really rolling right now. The crowd's kind of being slightly let down. And then you got to step it up and get it back and then hopefully close strong. Is that Tommy with you? Do you does that happen to you sometimes first half? You're you're not because you come back so strong in the fourth. A lot of times is that is that does, is that what goes to your yeah. head sometimes the first you know, half? It's, it's not there. It's a great question. I think there's one emotion that I have to try to find and that's anger. You know, and naturally, I'd say I'm pretty mellow, you know, off the field. But anger is the one emotion that works for me. So when I don't yeah. feel it and you guys yeah. see me, you know, motherfucking that yeah. is in trying to get me going. You know, it's right. hard in a lot That's of other you get bad intent. Is that when you get bad intent? Yeah. And you I fuck mean, the Giants up the way you do? <laughs> the Giants got me pretty good when it mattered. The Jets, on the other hand, 
Adam, no. I've never seen that happen. Yeah, Tommy, you always kind of walk out of the a Jets game very Everybody's happy. a Jet fan has low self-esteem, goddammit. So, Tom, are you angry now after the game with the result, or are you only angry while you're playing? No, angry while I'm playing. If it doesn't go well, you know, look, there's anger for different reasons, more frustration or disappointment. But anger in the moment, like if you see me in sure. a good mood in the game, it's a bad moment. If you see That's me – yeah, and there's no point. You know what I mean? You're, it's like a boxing match. I mean, this is a physical, dominating sport, a UFC fight. You know, you can't look at that opponent like, hey, these are my friends. These are my – you want to go, you know, yeah. you, you want to you go crazy, you know. And I yeah. think the more you can envision that, the better. Sometimes when I'm not feeling that way, Adam, early for some reason, I'll yeah. try to really get into my teammates. And you can do that in sport, you know. Well, did, one of the rings, did one of the rings go to your mom? Uh, she's got a ring. My dad got the first ring. Yes. Uh, my my mom got the ring in uh, 2016 when we beat the Falcons. She went through cancer treatments the whole season, and uh, she yeah. got a ring after the season. So all pretty emotional. The first one, my dad wears it all the yeah. time. And my dad, nice. you know, someone in this day and age, you better put that thing away because you know you're gonna be in Beverly Hills. Someone's gonna try to rip that thing off. But he wears Yo, that ring around. Out of my mouth, Tom. Be out on bail. Twenty minutes later. Out of my mouth, Adam. You the goat. <laughs> your goat. Your, your goat. Your goat. We goats, man. I love yeah. it. I love being on this podcast, man. Yeah. To me, this is like a highlight of my career right here. It's it's, it's cool right as hell, Tracy. It's I got cool to work hell. with Eddie Murphy when I did Coming to America too, and I yeah. asked Eddie Murphy. I said, Yo, Eddie, would you say that Charlie Chaplin is the king? He said, Eddie Murphy said, no, it was two different comedies. Yeah. Eddie Murphy was, I mean, uh, Richard Pryor was the Marlon Brando of comedy. When yeah, Richard that's... came, everybody had to change their shit. He set himself yeah. on fire for us. Yeah. I mean, I look at Richard to this day when I want to really be motivated. I look yeah. at Richard, I go, wow. The hey, let he... me ask you a question. This is a great topic because Tom and I love the Colonel, Jack Nicholson. He listens yes. all the time. We'd love to golf with him. We talk to him on the telephone a lot. I know yeah. Sandman, you're involved. Where, yeah. where, where's the colonel in this whole thing? As when we're talking about the goat. The, Correct. Yeah, the, I don't. I don't know anyone who's not going to say Nicholson. Well, really? the, the, the man. He, he's, yeah. When you see every one of his movies, there's nothing he's done that you go. I mean, he just he's batting batting high. He just doesn't doesn't miss. And as a human being, it doesn't get funnier than the Colonel. And uh, and golfing with him isn't that a, an amazing four hours of your life? <laughs> wow. Hey, I got a question. So, like when I'm out there, yeah. Um, like when I played against Peyton Manning, yes. I would always look at Peyton because we played a lot of the similar style. I was always trying to be, you know, that was the guy that I always tried to be a little bit better than. Yeah. I think in your guys' career, then I see other players, let's say like a, um, Patrick Mahomes or a, yeah. uh, in, in today's days, Lamar Jackson. I go, fuck, I can't do any of that. Right. And how do they right. do that? It's a, it blows right. me away. Because yeah. however they're playing, I don't see the game the way they see it. How, right. like, what are the skill sets for a comedian that allow them to, when you, when you hear them or see them, you go, wow, that's special. All three of you. Go ahead, Tracy. You can teach anybody to do comedy, but are you funny? Are you funny? Richard Pryor was a funny. There's plenty of people out there that say, you know, they, they do comedy. They're comedians. They're comics. There's a difference between a comic and a comedian. A comic is either you on your way in or you on your way out. 
But you're a comedian, that means you do stand up. So you stand up so people on the back can hear you. You're a stand up guy. But to be, are you funny? Funny is something that's to the bone. It's the way you live, it's the way you feel, it's the way you say things. You funny. He yeah. funny. There's plenty of comedians out there that they ain't funny. They're not funny to me. They'll never make me laugh. They're not funny. Funny is the way you behave. It's the way you live every day. God bless a child. Let me tell you something. Mother may have, father may have, but God bless a child who got his own. I see shit in a funny way. Yo, you do, yes. so fucking serious. That's why they're not good. I see it in a funny way. We look so funny doing it, making noise. We look so funny. It's so funny. I'm going to take the most minute shit. <laughs> Martin Lawrence used to give me an exercise. He put an orange on the table and say, find the funny in that shit. Oh, that's cool. Get the orange and find the funny in it. You Are you funny? You ain't funny, motherfucker. You just do comedy. Get the fuck out of here. You can teach somebody how to do jokes. You you can't teach nobody to read all the progressions. Yeah. You can't teach nobody that's that. As far as like you, you, you got the shit, you looking at everybody. You see the whole film, bro. <laughs> yeah. You don't see it, but we see it. You see the whole film. He see the end over here. Yeah, that's. But yeah. he's looking deep. Or he might just jumping off to the flats. Go ahead, Bill. Jump in there. <laughs> All right, if I see a comic yeah. that's just better than me and doing stuff that I can't do, like um, the worst thing you can do is like go on stage after them and try to do what they just did. You oh, kind of yeah. have to stay like within yourself, like basically what your game is. And all you can do is is um, be inspired by what they're doing to try to get better with whatever gifts you were given. So I always tell like younger comics, like, you know, if there's something like, I found when I was coming up, there was a lot of shit I could do off stage comedically that I couldn't do on stage because I was having like an out of body experience where it's just like everyone's looking at me and you yeah. kind of become almost like a different person. So the game I was playing was, can I be as comfortable on stage as I am off stage talking to my friends? And, <laughs> you know, there was stuff I could like, I could do characters and screw around and do one sided conversations in the car with my wife, making her laugh. But then when I get on stage, I try to do it. And I would start to not get laughs and I would bail and go to my safety place. And yeah. then it wasn't until I started going like almost looking at like sports. Like I, you can't go to your left. What do you do? You start going to your left. So I just started doing stuff like that. But like, that's good. You know, if I watch a guy like, you know, Tracy at what Adam does with the, like the music and stuff, I can't do that shit. But if, if I actually let that get in my head in, in the wrong way, oh, yeah. you got to let it yeah. get in your head like. These guys are performing at this level. How do I take what I was given to perform at that level the way that I do it? Because if That's I, you know, right. obviously I could never do what Tracy does. I can't do what Adam does. And if I tried to, I would just look like a poor man's version of them. And then that's that just leads you to going nowhere. Like Rona. Yeah, right. Tracy, fire away. What do you got, bud? Uh, Tom, I would just like to ask you, you've thrown many of them. But what was the yeah. greatest touchdown you ever threw? Oh, man. From high school to little league to college to the pros. Yeah. What was the greatest touchdown you ever threw? Mm. I'd say the most memorable one was, uh, <laughs> okay, 07 at the Meadowlands, Giants, week oh. 16. We're, you know, fighting to be undefeated. I have Randy Moss. We're both at this point where we can break an NFL record. It's, I think, the fourth quarter of the game. I need one touchdown pass. He needs one catch. 
He gets behind the defense on like first down. I throw it. It comes up five yards short. Would have been a gr- easy touchdown. We get to third down. Different play call, but Randy runs behind the defense and <laughs> threw it as about as far as I could. And uh, as Brett Favre says, I dropped it in there like a butterfly with sore legs. I literally <laughs> just <laughs> right into Randy's hands and just he ran into the end zone for the 50th touchdown pass I threw, which, I, you know, at the time was a record. And then Randy, 23 touchdowns, which is still a record. And, uh, you know, it was a deep pass. It was a meaningful game. It was a fourth quarter. It broke records. It kind of had of everything. I'm glad you guys are still friends, man. Thanks to the Sandman, Adam Sandler, Bill Burr and Tracy Morgan for joining us here on Let's Go. Whether you're looking for a romantic getaway, weekend retreat, or just a day of fun, Golden Nugget Hotel and Casinos offer the perfect destination for the ultimate getaway. If you're headed to Las Vegas, Atlantic City, or beautiful Lake Tahoe, visit goldennugget.com to book your getaway today. Well, on February 1st of this year, it happened. Sitting on a calm beach, speaking directly to his fans through social media, Tom announced his retirement from professional football and thus ended the most illustrious career the NFL had ever seen and likely will ever see. But you don't get to seven Super Bowl championships alone. Far from it. And on the episode following Tom's retirement, we had the opportunity to sit down with a lot of those who guided him along the way. Namely, New England Patriots head coach, Bill Belichick. Can you believe his career is over? Well, uh... You know, Tom's had just a tremendous career. Um, it was funny. You know, I was out at the East-West game uh, last weekend. And, of course, you know, his, Tom's picture is up there everywhere as a player in the game. And, you know, along with a lot of other Hall of Famers, I think they had like 70 Hall of Famers played in that game or something like that. Uh, but anyway, um, so, you know, that's kind of where it all started. You know, Michigan, the Orange Bowl, the East-West game, and, and, uh, and you know, just – the greatest player, the greatest career, uh, the great, great person. Uh, it's such an, an opportunity and an honor for me to, you know, to coach Tom. And uh, I, I guess I guess it's got in at some point, um, you know, but it, it, it's the greatest one ever. So congratulations, Tom. Appreciate it. Tom, what did Bill do to bring out the best in you? I think it's more what did he not do? to bring out the best in me. He, uh, you know, everyone always says I was just very lucky. I mean, I think part of it, you know, I came into my uh, career and got drafted by the Patriots. I always joke, you know, I had no fucking idea where New England was when I got drafted. I mean, I flew into Providence, which really confuses you if you're coming from the West Coast because I'm like, Boston, oh, Providence. And, and uh, you know, it was Coach Belichick's first year there. And, you know, we came in together and, I always think for so many young players, you know, who's going to be there? Anybody could get drafted to a place. Who's going to turn you into something? Who's going to develop you? Who's going to take you under their wing? And sometimes it's a player that does it. And I definitely had a lot of players do that. And obviously, um, I had someone that really saw something in me that, you know, not a lot of other people did. And, you know, yeah, there were offensive coaches and so forth. But I think Coach Belichick and I developed an amazing relationship really from the moment I was drafted, but then really we got, we spent a lot of time together. You know, he started to begin to teach me really what football was all about, how to study defenses when I started to play, certainly. And uh, we'd have weekly meetings, sometimes once, sometimes twice. And 
I couldn't imagine a better teacher to to say, hey, this is how you're going to play quarterback in the NFL. And this is the nuances of the game. And not only that, but I just, from his leadership, which is really one of his great, great qualities, you know, he he showed up every day with a purpose. There was when he always joked, no days off. He meant it. You know, there was his ability to sustain even what he's still doing, you know, 23 years with the Patriots beyond that, you know, so many years in the NFL, but he's in there working in the office right now. You know, he's not out there golfing and I'm sure he has his moments for those things, but they're a lot fewer than what, you know, he could be doing, you know, he's, you know, you look at his stature and who he is and what his level of performance has been over a long period of time. He could be retired years ago. And the reality is he loves the sport. He loves teaching. He loves coaching. He loves competing. And, Nobody's done it better than him. And I think what a blessing for me to, there's no way I have the success that I've had, you know, personally without him. And I'm very grateful for that. What did you see in him, Bill? What did you see in him that others didn't when he got that ball, when Drew Bledsoe went out or perhaps before, <laughs> yeah, no before in training camp? Point. Well, you know, I think it kind of started, uh, you know, senior year when, um, you know, Tom would start uh, every game and then, and Michigan would do pretty good. And then, you know, Henson would come in and things usually didn't go so good. And then they bring Tom back at the end and, you know, they won most of their games. Then he had a great orange bowl game against Alabama. Um, and, you know, just based on the opportunity that he had and, and the way he played well in big games at big moments um, and kind of, you could see the upswing, the potential, um, you know, that he had uh, that, that's kind of where it started. And then his rookie year, you know, Tom didn't play much, um, three snaps or whatever it was, but he took leadership over that rookie class. And we had like 22 rookies and first year players that year. Um, and he would keep them out after practice. They'd run plays. He knew what everybody was supposed to do. So if somebody made a mistake on the play. It wasn't run by the coaches. It was run by Tom. And you could see the leadership that he um, captured with the team, um, you know, just in those sessions. Uh, among his peers, which at that time were, you know, rookies and first-year players. And then, you know, after the first season, I brought in um, Damon Hewer because I felt like, you know, I wanted to have an experienced backup quarterback. And Tom beat him out in preseason. And so Tom was a backup quarterback. And and then when Drew got hurt, then, uh, then it was really pretty much history until um, the, the St. Louis game, the Ram game. And, and that was the game where um, – Prior to that week, I split reps between uh, Tom and Drew, uh, but Tom played the whole game, and I just felt like after the game that it was I just couldn't do that. I had to give the starting quarterback the majority of the reps and that it would just be hard to play uh, well with only getting half the snaps. So at that point, I made Tom the starting quarterback, and um, that's the smartest decision I ever made, uh, maybe other than drafting him. So, um, you know, that was – and then it just got better from there, and – you know, Tom talks about how much he taught. I taught him in those meetings, but you know, I learned so much from Tom because I, you know, I, I never played quarterback and I never saw the game through the quarterback's eyes. I saw it through a coach's eyes, and and what Tom would tell me that he saw and how he saw it, it was incredible. How during the game, you know, he'd come off and I'd say, "What happened on that play?" and, and he'd go through eight things that happened. You know, tackle flash in front of me. This guy slipped. I saw the linebacker drop wide. Safety was a little deeper than I thought he would be. And, you know, then this guy stepped in front. I kind of put it a little bit behind him because I saw this other guy closing. 
And then you go back and look at the film and, and every one of those things happened in the exact sequence that he explained it to you on the field coming off. I'm like, this guy sees everything. He sees the rush. He sees the coverage. He sees the routes. He sees the depths. Um, and he sees a lot of things pre-snap. And, and when we had the meetings that Tom referred to, um, we would go over fundamentals. We'd go over game plans. We'd go over situational football, watch other teams play through situations. And, and I remember so many situations that came up in games um, where Tom would refer back to, yeah, that's what we talked about, uh, you know, a few weeks ago when we watched the Detroit Atlanta game or, uh, yeah, that was, remember when they ran this play in this situation two years ago, I mean, the, the memory and the capacity that Tom had to remember plays situations, um, and, and some, you know, finer points like hard counts and, you know, getting out of bounds plays and things like that from, from years before in the exact same situation and time frame was, was remarkable. And, you know, we all have decent memories, but to be able to process it that quickly in a matter of literally seconds and split seconds on the field or during a timeout or, you know, going back on the field, you know, with however much time's left, like, yeah, this is what we talked about. This is that situation we had in training camp that, you know, we had 39 seconds and the ball was at midfield. Um, so those are the things that I learned from Tom as a quarterback was how to see the game as a quarterback instead of as a coach. And, um, you know, Tom would say, you know, I, I, you know, I can't see that. I'm not really looking at that. Like, okay, well, I'm going to stop coaching that then because if you can't see it, like nobody else is going to see it. So let's, let's see how you see the game and, and let me learn from you. And, and Tom was great about that. We had a, um, a really good relationship, um, especially in the film room and talking football and all that, that um, I'll, I'll always treasure. And I learned so much from uh, because nobody sees the game better than Tom Brady sees it or saw it. And, and I was so lucky to learn from him and his vision that, um, I, you know, no other coach will get that experience because it, it was, I mean, it's incredible. So Tom, as time goes on, you guys become tied together. Mm-hmm. You can't say Brady without thinking Belichick. You can't say Belichick without thinking Brady. And and this has gone on in sports, but usually it's with rivals. Usually it's Ollie and Frazier, um, Wilt and Russell. Uh, you have it a little bit uh, sometimes, Kobe and Shaq, their teammates. Uh, sometimes you also have it, Lombardi and Star. But when your name becomes so tied to your duo, your partner, what's that like? What's that like for you and also for you, Coach Belichick, that you guys are now intertwined so much because of your accomplishment, your excellence, and your achievement, and the goals that you obtained will never be duplicated? I think for me, there's nobody I'd rather be associated with. And I think that from my standpoint, I think it's always such a stupid conversation to say, you know, Brady versus Belichick, because in my mind, that's not what partnerships are about coach couldn't play quarterback and I couldn't coach. And I think the best part about the best part about football is, and coach says it a lot, do your job. And he asked me to play quarterback. He didn't ask me to coach. And, you know, I didn't want him playing quarterback. I just wanted him to coach. <laughs> I'd seen him throw. So he definitely wasn't playing quarterback. He, uh, I think it was, it's, it's such a stupid, in my view, it was just people always trying to pull us apart. And I don't think we ever even felt that with each other. We never were trying to pull each other apart. We actually were always trying to go in the same direction. And I think when we were in New England for 20 years together, you know, it's tired. They get tired of writing the same 
story. So, you know, once they write all the nice things and championships and this, and then they just start going, well, this works. Let's start trying to divide them. And I think I didn't, I never really appreciated those, you know, ways that people would try to do that. He and I always had a great relationship and we met all the time. And did we always see everything exactly the same way? Who does in life? You know, what close relationship can you have where everything goes, you know, like a bright, sunny day? No, there are moments that, you know, it was never intolerable. I mean, but it was always just, I would say, healthy debates about certain things. And we always talked about him face to face. And I think there's one thing I appreciate about Coach Belichick in life is he's not afraid to have a hard conversation, too. And we didn't always agree, but we always respected each other. I know he respected me for the job that I did, and I certainly did the same. And I think even when you go away from each other, you respect each other probably that much more. I certainly did because I realized the commitment that he was trying to make to get our team to win. And that's the purpose of sports is to try to go compete and win. And when you have someone that believes in winning as much as you do, you want to be a part of that. And when people try to get in the way of that, they become the enemy. So I always think the people that tried to drive us apart actually brought us closer together. You know, for me, um, and, I, and I, I've always said this, Tom's heard it, you know, every year, time after time, players win games. Players win games. You can't win games without great players. And, um, and coaches can lose them. And if coaches don't give the players a good opportunity, put up a, give them a chance where they can have a fair fight and, and can win on their ability, then, you know, great players can't overcome bad coaching. So, I always tried my best to put the team in position to win. Um, and look, that could be, you know, 10, 13, 10, like it was in the snowball, or it could be, you know, 34 to 28, you know, scoring 28 points in the second half or whatever it was in the Super Bowl. And, and to me, my job was always give the team a chance to win, put together a good team. And, you know, Tom was the greatest player on many, many good teams that we had, but, it's teams that win championships and and players that win championships, not coaches. Coaches keep from losing them. <laughs> Try to keep from losing them. You got to give the players a chance to win. And and we had you know a lot of great players. Uh, and and I'd say the one thing about Tom that it was always impressive is how he was the target every week. He had the bullseye on his back every week, and every week he came through and delivered. Uh, and it, it was similar to Taylor at, at the Giants. Um, there's a guy that's targeted every week. And, and Tom always found a way to make his players productive. And so it didn't matter who the receiver, who the tight end was. He could understand what, what would make Rob you know, more successful, what would make Troy Brown more so, what could Wes Welker do? Not what did I do with Troy that I want to do with Wes Welker, but how do I make Wes Welker successful? How do I make Randy Moss successful? Those players were all great players, but they were all very different, and they had different skills. And Tom could always bring out the best of their skills. So it was James White, um, uh, you know, running backs or whoever, whatever the position was, Kevin Falk. You know, he made all those players great by understanding what their strengths were and understood how to use their strengths. Um, and, you know, very similar to what Bill Russell talked about in terms of using the, the other teammates on the Celtics. You know, how to how to get those guys shots, how to get those guys points. And I think of all the things that Tom was great at, which is a long, long list, um, his ability to make players around him better 
and more productive was ultimately his greatest skill. And there were times when we didn't have great tackles or we might have had a guy hurt on the offensive line. Well, then he got the ball out quicker. And those players never really, that matchup never really affected the game very much. I mean, all the years we went against Dwight Freeney, um, you know, a lot of blocking Dwight Freeney was get rid of the ball before Dwight Freeney could get there. I mean, he was a hard guy to block. And then Mathis on the other side. Uh, and there were games where we played, you know, the Carolina Super Bowl. I mean, honestly, God, that's as good of a defensive line as we've ever faced. But And Tom got hit a lot, but he got the ball out. And so it didn't matter whether it was the line, the receivers, the tight ends, the running backs, uh, you know, when it was uh, – you know, Corey Dillon and LeGarrette Blunt, they he, he helped them be more productive in their roles. Um, and so ultimately, again, of all the things that Tom was great at, I think that was, you know, really his top quality was he made everybody around him better and utilized the skills that those players had and avoided the ones maybe with they weren't as good at. And I think one thing I just think from Coach Belichick's standpoint, he I think you could look at Coach Belichick, and probably a lot of people do. Oh, you know, an older coach, and, you know, he's so fixed, and he comes across as so fixed. And the reality is he's very open and flexible to the changing times, the changing parts of the sports, how many times he adapted our offensive strategy with different playmakers and our defensive strategy. He was never fixed. This is what we do. We just run a 3-4. We run a 4-3. We run this front. We run – he's so flexible to – and looking ahead, what's happening in the college game, so that that's going to ultimately affect the pro game. What kind of players are happening in college, so I can begin to morph the incoming players to what their skill sets are. And I think all those things were such a all things I learned from him. He had been in the league a lot longer than I had when I started. But man, how can you? You know, we started let's say offensively with the Patriots, really a traditional two back offense, and then we got started to get you know we started to become more of a spread three receiver offense because we got some good players, and then. We drafted a couple tight ends that were amazing. We became a two tight end offense. Come to the same base, and then it was just a, a. We continued to change and adapt, and I think the one thing that sports force you to do, certainly competitive sports, is you change and adapt every year with what you strengths and weaknesses are, but certainly what your competition is too. But you've got to work at it, and you've got to be open to it. And I think that that flexibility by Coach Belichick always allowed us and me offensively to see the game a certain way too, that we could win with two tight ends. We could win with three tight ends. We could win with four receivers, you know, all dependent. And you need all those tools throughout the season because some weeks, fuck, your tight ends get hurt and you got to go, you know, and sometimes your receivers get hurt. And it's just, that's what adaptation is. And I think he taught me that from uh, the moment I walked in the door and he didn't care who was on the field. He expected us to win. There was an expectation performance and winning regardless of who was out there. Because in the end, so many people want to use excuses, whether it's in sports or in life, for this is why things didn't go well. And here are the myriad of excuses, which ends up all bullshit. Because in the end, no one wants to hear that. <laughs> they just want to hear, did you win or did you lose? And we were going to find a formula for winning as often as we can. And we didn't always win. Of course not. But it wasn't in the pursuit of not trying to win that I think the process for us was the most enjoyable part. There was always a formula to try to win. Coach, and you know, I think what's so interesting is is listening to you guys. Um, it, it just reminds me of how you treated Tommy like you treated everybody else on the team, even after you won the first, second, third Super Bowls, that he rose to become a superstar in the eyes of the public. But once he came into your building, he was one of those 53. And if you had to point out something, you pointed out something to him. And if you had to call him out, you called him out. Uh, 
Can you just kind of take us through uh, your your inner thinking on that and, and the wherewithal that that takes to not allow somebody to get bigger than the organization because you're trying to win a game and it takes everybody. Yeah, you know, really, uh, Jim, that was as much a part of Tom a- as it was me, you know, because there were a couple meetings, uh, you know, where I would say something to Tom after the meeting, like, hey, you know, I didn't really, you know, think that was that bad, but I just want to include you and everybody in there with everybody else. And Tom would say, coach, you have to, if you don't yell at me, then what am I going to do with all the rest of my teammates? I got to be in there with all the rest of them and say, hey, he's yelling at all of us. And like, we all got to do better. But if you leave me out of it, then then I don't really have a platform to work from. So yeah, go ahead and rip my ass too. Go ahead. And so I got the green light on that. I went ahead and took it. But, and I think that players always, they always come back to me and say, hey, the first meeting, Belichick got on Brady. I'm like, Christ, if he's going to talk to Brady like that, like I better be straight. I, you know, I know what's going to happen to me. And, and Tom's, you know, acceptance of that. And also then his ability to lead his teammates by putting himself in the same boat with everybody else of like, yeah, we all got to do a better job. You know, he's after me, just like he's after everybody else. Let's go. Um, That's a tremendous platform to lead from. And Tom recognized that. And yeah, you know, was he our best player? Did he make the fewest mistakes out there and all that? Yeah, but everybody can do better. Every coach, every player, no matter how great they are. And, you know, if you're really looking and striving for, perfe- per- for perfection, then we all want that. Like, I want to be a better coach. Tom wants to be a better player, you know, and, and so does everybody else. You know, Law wants to be a better corner and Logan Mankins wants to be a better guard and all that. And Rob Gronkowski wants to be a better tight end. And if you can tell him something to help him be better – a real competitor will appreciate that. And uh, and actually where I got that from was Coach Knight. And because Coach Knight told me that's what he did with Michael Jordan on the Olympic team. He said, you know, Michael, I'm going to rip your ass just like because I can't rip some of these other guys without ripping you. And Jordan said, hey, bring it on because I that, I need that and that'll help me with my teammates. And, and uh, it, it was kind of a similar thing, you know, with Tom. He was – he told me he appreciated it. I don't know really sure not appreciated it coach uh, do you have any advice for tom as he goes forward now and and you've seen literally a thousand guys retired they're going full speed million miles a minute and then all of a sudden they don't have football anymore uh you've played golf with tom that you had that round at pebble beach so you know what he's like on the golf course and whether that'll satisfy him or not but any advice for him so tom and i played together for three days in the pro-am out there and i think if i could sum up Tom Brady in one picture it would be on the sixth <laughs> hole where he drove the ball to the right it looked like it was going to be you know I mean it looked like he was over the cliff right you know when he teed off I think it's way to the right and we get down there and he's standing over the cliff and he's like I think I see it and he takes his club down there and he climbs over the cliff I can only see like from about his shoulders up now, it's 200 feet down into the rocks, and there's no way he survives this fall. And I'm looking at the greatest quarterback, our, our player, you know, I mean, Tom Brady's standing there literally on a goddamn ledge, ball off the ledge up, to the, up the hill to the sixth green. And I'm thinking to myself, I mean, like, this is Tom Brady, like, number one, super competitor, is trying to hit this impossible shot comes pretty close to honestly dying and and landing in the goddamn rock 200 <laughs> feet below 
all in the name of competition and, you know, being the best he can be and taking whatever the situation is, wherever the, wherever the ball lands and playing it and hitting the next good shot. And I was like, man, when I saw him climb over the hill back on there, I'm like, just take a two stroke penalty, man. <laughs> Play the pros ball. <laughs> now, As I should have done. Well, I, I, so I guess, I, I guess you would advise him not to get too close to the cliff man, in I'm retirement you, here. I, I was never more worried about Tom physically. Than I saw him standing <laughs> on that ledge trying to hit, not trying, hitting the ball up to the sixth green at Pebble with like a 25-mile-an-hour win, too. I mean, just to make it interesting. I've done a lot of dumb things in my life. That was probably right at the top of the list. I mean, I've done a lot of stupid shit. that I, I, I'm happy I didn't pay the price for that one, but that could have oh. been nasty. But uh, it won't be a lot of golf. It'll be actually watching a lot of football because that's never going too far from my mind. And, you know, trying to – I love this sport. I love everyone, man, that, that came into my life because of it. Certainly Coach Belichick was – you know, right at the top of the list. So just thanks, Coach. You know how I feel about you. And I love seeing you out there coaching. And I think every coach in the world should take, you know, watch as much Coach Belichick as you can and learn because, you know, that's what that's what they should do. Because if they want to see what a real coach can can do and what he's capable of and the consistency and dependability and the trust that you have in the people that, you know, coach you, then there's nobody nobody I'd look for than Coach Belichick. Appreciate that, Tom. A very special thanks to Coach Bill Belichick for joining us in February on Let's Go. Let's Go is brought to you by Delta Airlines. Delta believes the pursuit of perfection is a never-ending journey, and every day provides new opportunities to keep climbing toward that Let's Go moment. Visit Delta.com to book today. And of course, no one quite understands Tom's decision, unless you've been there yourself. And this guy's been there. He's done that. He knows how hard it is to walk away after a great career. Our partner, Larry Fitzgerald, who returns as a co-host of Let's Go Again this season. And I sat down with Larry to talk about Tom's decision and look back at his career. Well, I mean, the game is going to sorely miss him. You know, he, he he left an indelible mark on the game. Um, it won't be the same without him. The greatest player to ever lace him up, um, done it at the highest levels and done it with class and dignity the whole entire time. Uh, and so, it, you know, it's going to be tough to watch Sundays moving forward, you know, without, you know, Tom out there playing and, and leading and, you know, the suspense that, you know, follows everything that he does on the football field. But I'm happy that he's happy. And, you know, as a friend, all you do is you, you cheer for your friends. You want them to, to find, you know, peace and happiness in their lives. And, and that's what I want for Tom. You say it won't be the same, but everything does roll on. But this seems different for some reason. I remember when Michael Jordan retired the first time, and then he came back and won three championships. And then he eventually left after playing in Washington. It just kind of takes a little piece from you, because for so long it's just been so familiar and he's been so great. So time does roll on and things do change, but it really isn't ever the same, is it? No, it's not. I mean, you look at some of the greats that have left the game in, in team sports. You look at Derek Jeter's and and Michael Jordan's and, you know, some of these magnificent athletes. And, yeah, the game continues to go on. The schedule is not going to change. Right. But, you know, what that player meant to the generation of people who followed him, um, watched him, supported him, um, the teams that he even beat and the way he did it. You know, you have to marvel at his greatness. And I think people, you know, 
love him or, or dislike him, you know, you, you always could appreciate his greatness, right? It doesn't matter if you were a New York Jets fan and he terrorized you for the better half of 20 years, but you can appreciate just how great he was throughout his entire career and the way he did it, his standard of excellence consistently for that period of time. You, you have no choice but to marvel at that um, and respect what he's accomplished because, you know, it, it'll never be done again. Um, the things that he's done, um, the way he's done it, you know, it's it just will never be done. So when you say we'll turn a chapter to, you know, the Josh Allens and the, the, the Joe Burrows and, um, you know, the Pat Mahomes, like it, it, it is what we have to do. But what Tom has done will, will never be duplicated. Do you have a personal favorite moment? You know, I have a lot of personal favorite moments. And, you know, one, you know, since it's the fresh, it really stands out to me. You know, I, I hadn't been to a, you know, a Cardinal game in, in the stadium since I since I left. And uh, when when the Buccaneers came to town, I got my kids, got the family and all my, my kids, friends. And, you know, I got a suite at, at the game. Um, and, you know, it was, it was like a, a lot of emotions running through me going back into the stadium and, you know, being a spectator there. And, you know, I thought it was very important not only for me, but for my kids to be able to go and see the greatest player of all time play and, uh, you know, be able to sit there and, and marvel, you know, at a, you know, a legend, you know, playing still, you know, at a high level. The game wasn't by any stretch of imagination a great game, but I thought it was very important to be able to have uh, myself and my kids be able to witness that. And then after the game, you know, he's so great, so gracious with his time and, and talked to my boys, talked about the importance of education and, and work ethic. And, you know, he didn't have to do that. And so it just exemplifies not only his greatness as an athlete, as a player, but as a, as a human being. And I, and I wanted my children to be able to see that and uh, understand that you can do both. You can be great in, in more than one way in life. And, you know, those kind of things really stand out to me about, um, you know, who Tom is and, and what he really meant, you know, to, to, the, to the game and, you know, to sports in general. That's Larry Fitzgerald. You'll hear more from Larry every week this season right here on Let's Go. Let's Go is brought to you by Casamigos Tequila. Casamigos is brought to you by those who drink it. Always fun to look back, but we're looking forward now, and we look forward to having you join us throughout the season right here on Let's Go. We'll be here every Monday night at 6 p.m. Eastern on Mad Dog Radio as well as NFL Radio throughout the entire season, the playoffs, all the way through Super Bowl 58. Let's Go, presented by American Express. We want to thank all of our sponsors, American Express, Delta Airlines, K Jewelers, Casamigos Tequila, and Golden Nugget Hotel and Casinos. We got Dave the Snake Hagen back with us. He's producing our show once again this year. We thank him for his efforts and look forward to a great season. Let's Go has been produced by 199 Productions in collaboration with Scratchy Productions. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll talk to you throughout the season, starting next Monday night, right here on Sirius XM. Let's Go! Serious XM Podcasts.